Hello, everybody. Hello. Hope you're enjoying the SF Music Tech so Summit so far. We're here because because you want to be, and so we're thrilled to all be here. And here we have a panel. What do we call it? Cryptocurrencies, ICOs, and music, or something like that. Uh, blockchain. Uh, blockchain is the flavor du jour. Uh, everybody wants a part of it, a piece of it, and most people don't even know what it is. Um, but the people up here do. Um, and if you don't, by the end of this, you will too. Um, it's a pretty interesting situation right now. We also throw the Future of Money and Technology Summit here. Next one's coming up on December 4th, futureofmoney.com. Uh, we featured, you know, Vitalik Buterin before he wrote Ethereum and the Bitcoin Foundation met here and, you know, sort of like this, but about money. So we're thrilled to have you all out here. We have a spectacular group of individuals who are all, uh, you know, approaching this from a sort of a different way. So I think I'm going to make it up as I go along and kind of go out to people for introductions, but I'll kind of throw a question in at the same time. So uh, let's see how that works. So, so Chris, hi all the way down there. Hello, Brian. Hey, so we featured Chris in the past uh, because he basically had, let me see if I've got this right. It was a classical distributor, but then you realized that cleaning up of the metadata was actually a much more interesting issue? Well done, sir. Well, and it, not just interesting, but classical metadata is hard. Uh, metadata is hard in general. And so we kind of, uh, by solving, quote, unquote, the hardest problem first, uh, stumbled up on making a lot of stuff better. Cool. And now you're with Exactuals. That's Can right. you mention what that is, kind of? Yeah, Exactuals is a payments company uh, out of Los Angeles and uh, has been in film and TV for about six years. And uh, they're like, we want to go into music. I'm like, well, we got to get the data right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, you know, we want to get data right for uh, two purposes, attribution and payments. And uh, we're here to talk about payments and cryptocurrency and cool. uh, how blockchain ties into that. So, so you've got this payments company. Obviously, you're building on the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing to do, right? No. Uh, so yes. also uh, head of data for .vc, and uh, so uh, also want to get data right there. And um, so, but, but Exactuals is that on the blockchain or not? It is not. Why not? Well, we w will pay in cryptocurrency one day. We do not right now. Um, but yeah. So. <laughs> but you don't need to be on the blockchain. That's right. And why would people need to be versus not need to be on the blockchain? Why would exactuals need to be? Why would it be beneficial to be versus you chose not to be? It, why is that beneficial over being on the blockchain? Well, if I were to, um, well, six years ago, it wasn't my choice. Right. Is the, the correct answer. Um, so as for attribution, uh, attribution absolutely uh, is being built on the blockchain. So making claims and amendments com makes complete sense. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And so, um, anyway, so Shalita, you are both a pop star and a developer. That is true. So 
Yeah. So, um, and her, al her album is for pre-order today. Yes, yes it is. So how would people get your album? Well, there's actually two ways I'm going to tell you about right now to get my album. The first way is you can go directly to my website, which is shop.shalitaburke.com, and you can actually order it with Bitcoin. You can use PayPal as well, but if you've never used Bitcoin, then go through the funnels and actually order it through Bitcoin, and it only costs $3.99, but considering the price of Bitcoin in today's marketplace, it could be up or minus, depending on the market value. And so this was a very difficult process? Well, at first I thought it was going to be a difficult process, um, but after five hours of programming and connecting up APIs, it was actually really easy. And so it took me five hours to figure out how and to do it. And 15 years of learning the program before that. Right, right. But it took me five <laughs> hours to actually learn how to do it, and then five minutes to repeat the process. And so any artists or music managers in the audience or any tech companies in the audience that are interested in using the blockchain as one of the solutions for transparency in your sales funnel process, what you can do is actually go to shopify.com and register for their subscription program. Pay for it, don't do the free option. And then through the back end of Shopify, you can connect up the API of Coinbase or also BitPay for free. And then you can start accepting basically Bitcoin payments that way. And that will take you about five minutes after you get a Coinbase account. So basically the architecture is Shopify, Coinbase, and then your actual website. So let's say you don't have a website. You can actually connect this through Facebook. So you can actually use your Facebook page to connect with Shopify. So take Shopify plus Facebook plus Coinbase, and you can accept Bitcoin payments for your album today. With what level of programming skills? So the methods that I talked to you about just now require zero programming skills. But because I'm a developer, I thought in, you know, basically engineering speak first, and I thought I had to de develop all this stuff myself, so I did. But then after I did that, I'm always about repeating the process and seeing how I can do it easier, simple, faster. So the second time I did it, it took me five minutes without any code at all, and it was more efficient. <laughs> Do you document how you did it online? Can people go somewhere and see all of this? I did not document it online, but you can contact me directly at shalita at live.com and I can teach you how to do it. And wow. so another thing I'd like to mention about this process, as I said, so if you don't have a website and all you have is a Facebook page, Shopify subscription costs around $30 a month. It's worth it plus Coinbase. Coinbase is free, and it just allows you to accept the payment in the currency of your choice. So you can receive the payment in Bitcoin, but you can exchange it into Ethereum or Litecoin just through Coinbase directly without a fee. So that's very important. I'm going to repeat that again, without a fee. And then you can connect that to an Ethereum contract to pay everyone involved with the album. And that requires Ethereum gas. So you definitely want to buy some Ethereum so that you can make the transactions. Does that make sense? So I'm going to repeat that again for the non-technical people in the audience. So let's say you are an artist and you want to pay everybody after your album sale happens because the payments are going to you directly. After receiving the payment through Coinbase, set up an Ethereum contract on the Ethereum network that states who gets paid how, and it'll route the payments for you without a human being. 
Does everyone get the implications of that? Yeah. And another thing I want to say is the blockchain is not as cryptid as you think it is. I know that's a wordplay, but it's not as cryptic as you think it is. It's not as hard as you think it is. It's actually very simple. Think of the blockchain as, you know how you guys used to have like day planners and you would map out every day and you had a ledger for the things you were doing in your day planner? That's what the blockchain is. And you know how you manually write in what you're doing every day? That's what the blockchain can do for you. It can be a manual ledger that's in the cloud or on your physical server and the things that are happening in the blockchain is based on your blockchain organization. When I say blockchain organization, I'm talking about your company or your organization that you have upon greed, agreed parties. So if you have like a lawyer that you know that's one of your friends, talk to them about what the legality is for some of the technology that you're using. So although that the blockchain doesn't cost anything to use, there are legal implications that you do need to consider as an everyday citizen or everyday company before you're transacting with it. Does that make sense? Wow. Okay. Well, I know it's a hard act to follow, <laughs> but Vaughn, why don't you uh, talk a little bit about who you are, what you do, why you do it on the blockchain, and where it's all going. Um, yeah. My name is Vaughn. Um, I'm one of the founders of Jack. We're a music data... Pardon me? Closer. There we yeah. go. There Sorry about that, guys. First time using one of these. Um, so, um, yeah, we're a music rights blockchain startup based out of London. Um, what we do is we basically build out two products. The first is called Meta. So, um, as was just explained, you can imagine that you have a blockchain which basically like is a, is a big database. It's maintained by loads and loads and loads of people. Um, and what we do is we use that database to track rights information. Now, um, it doesn't mean that we just can chuck loads of rights information in. It means that we use the blockchain to coordinate how and when and who makes updates to the system. Now, we've been working since the start of the year where we participated in Techstars Music, um, which had uh, some labels involved, um, had some big companies involved behind it. Um, we worked for three months there, and then since then have been kind of uh, on a, a bit of a tour uh, of the world, just kind of working with uh, music companies to start to understand how rights information passes between companies and to try and stitch that into our platform. Uh, we also built a product called Jack, and that's the name of the company. And Jack is a content platform. So then just adds in content into the rights, and it means you can use the content wherever. And imagine that every single play that happened anywhere in the world could always be tracked back to this one system, one database, and that's Meta. Does that explain it? Confusing? Good, good. That's how it's supposed to be. No, I'm joking. Yeah, Clay did a bad job. Very cool. Yeah, so it's so interesting because everybody kind of gets, it's like an elephant and you get your different part of it and trying to figure out what you use it for and why you'd use it. And it's very much to me like, you know, the internet back in like 91 where you're kind of like, you can get this information in text from here and there and, you know, and who thought it would be you know, you're meeting your next boyfriend. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, who would have, you know, so I think we're really looking at so for, something so formative that, that is just so exciting because we don't really know where it's going to go. But you end up seeing things where it's like you look at something and you're like, that really makes sense. You know, you'll have some payment things where you're like, this doesn't need to be on the blockchain. And then you'll have other 
things where, well, there's just all these advantages. So maybe we'll go down to you, Jason, and you can tell us a little bit briefly just of who you are, what you do, and specifically why what you do is more advantageous in many ways by using the blockchain than not. All right. Well, I'm Jason Robert. I am a musician turned co-founder of Hello Segoy. Um, we at Hello Segoy are creating a decentralized event management ecosystem. And we plan to build this ecosystem in three phases. Phase one involves event ticketing. Phase two involves reputation systems. And phase three involves event financing, which is the end goal of this project. Right now, we are focused on event ticketing on the Ethereum blockchain. So what we're able to do with this underlying blockchain technology is reduce fees for the consumer. We're able to recapture lost revenue in the secondary market, which would typically go into the pockets of brokers and scalpers, and funnel that revenue back to the event organizers, the artists, and other event stakeholders. And thirdly, we eliminate fraud. Okay, up to 20% of tickets listed on secondary market platforms are fraudulent. Um, our technology enables us to track the life cycle of the ticket from the primary market sale all the way to validation at the door. And by leveraging these smart contracts, we're able to program rules which govern the behavior of the ticket. Um, so that's kind of where we're at at the moment. In June of this year, we launched our MVP, our minimum viable product. We've since allocated over 1,400 tickets to events all over the planet, from Shanghai, China, to New York City. Um, we're actually ticketing the Ethereal Summit uh, this coming Friday, I believe, or in two weeks, on the 27th. Um, unlike many others in the space, we have a working product. Think of us as a decentralized Eventbrite, whereby event organizers can allocate tickets on the blockchain and consumers can purchase those tickets with Ether. You all got that? <laughs> all right. Seeing some understanding out here. Very cool. And who else? Eric. Eric has been coming to SF Music Tech for a while. We finally got him up on stage. We're thrilled to have him. You guys should all follow him in his adventures around the world, meeting like the ruler of Dubai and all sorts of fun stuff. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what, what you're up to at Recordgram. Sure. So uh, Recordgram is a mobile producer marketplace, a recording studio and a social network that allows our users to create original songs with award-winning producers for under $5, all from the palm of your hand. So think musically, but for original content creation. Um, my co-founders are a Grammy award-winning music producer and a multi-platinum recording artist. We're actually demoing our product downstairs. Um, we won TechCrunch four months ago in New York City. I believe we were the first music technology company to ever win TechCrunch. Um, we are currently featured on Planet of the Apps, which is Apple's original music show with Gwyneth Paltrow, Jessica Alba, Will I Am, and Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, our advisors include Will I Am as well as Timberland, which we haven't announced publicly yet, but I guess we kind of just did. Um, <laughs> We were in Project Music in 2016 as one of the six companies they selected to be part of their accelerator. And as a result of that, you know, a lot of the uh, record labels, management companies, and publishers already have a vested interest in us. About three weeks ago, we announced that we were integrating blockchain technology on the TechCrunch stage in San Francisco. And we're doing a $100 million token offering and are currently on our roadshow for the last month and a half 
um, letting people know about what we're doing. Um, blockchain for Recogram has several uh, key implications. Number one, because we're an original content creation platform, we want to make sure that anyone that creates an original record on Recogram, um, that their rights are transparently uh, visible in the ledger, and therefore we can pay out um, automatically, as she said, um, to, those, to those rights holders. There's currently, I think, like $2.5 billion of unclaimed royalties that sit in space at any given time. Um, and we're not here to, to solve that problem, but we're here to solve that problem for the future so that when new music is created from this point forward, that the rights holders get paid and uh, they get paid with their, their owed. Because uh, that's a major, major pain point for me and my co-founders. Um, we were ripped off. We generated over $20 million for Capitol Records, and they decided to, we had a 50-50 deal, and they decided to steal our money from us. Um, and that really hurt me emotionally and in a lot of different ways. And I, I said I was going to fix the problem, and I'm doing it right now. Yeah. So, 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 what's real and what's hype? I mean, you know, you see people out there just, you know, you see, you know, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm not even gonna make up some of the stuff. I can I'm answer pointing. that question. What's that? Uh, what's real is tickets.hellosegoy.com. Uh, <laughs> That's about as real as it gets. Well, Brian, you know what's really interesting is that the majority, a lot of the people that are doing these ICOs now, like 95% of them don't even have a product. They literally like write a white paper over the course of a few weeks in their bedroom and they're raising 10, 20, 30 million dollars in five minutes. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like scratch my head and think about that because I actually went through the traditional investment process. Um, the, the rumor is that most people ICO because they can't get traditional investment. And there's actually a company that couldn't raise a million dollars and they raised like $40 million on the ICO market. Like they couldn't get traditional funding. They do an ICO, they raise ridiculous, ridiculous amounts of money. So we actually received our seed round, um, uh, was, was led by Lightspeed Venture Partners, who's one of the biggest globally recognized VCs on the planet. And um, you know, it, you got, I think that if you're looking into uh, participating in an ICO, and if you're accredited investor in America, you really have to look at the product and the team behind it and see if they're able to execute on their vision. Because there's a lot of, uh, over, there's a lot of hype and uh, possibly uh, false promises, but you got to really look at if they can deliver the product um, because they necessarily, they really don't have an obligation to in the ICO market and they're not giving up equity in their company. So you just got to, I guess, kind of, it's, it's crazy, it's nuts, um, but I believe that if a small percentage of these companies that are doing ICOs actually come out with their product, that it's going to revolutionize society. I think it's the biggest thing since the internet. That's right. One of the things I'd like Any to Any questions? Add, Just kidding. Oh. Real or hype? Real or hype? Who knows what an ICO is here? Okay. Okay. So a number of people do. Okay. How, how, many, pe how many people have any digital currency? <clears throat> how many of you have Ethereum? How many of you have Bitcoin? How many of you have EOS? Okay. Tell them about EOS. <laughs> So EOS is a year-long ICO, and, it's, and what it's going to do, it's creating a new blockchain that aggregates basically decentralized applications. So basically, a lot of new companies will be building on top of the EOS infrastructure, and the difference between EOS and Ethereum, it's not an Ethereum killer, by the way, is, you know, basically Ethereum is more like a two-lane road where there's parallel lines and the traffic goes two ways. And then EOS is more like a multi-lane road where the traffic can go two different ways at the same time, 
right? And so the transactions are much faster. So one of the issues with Bitcoin right now, as you guys probably know by buying it, is when you buy Bitcoin, it takes a while for you to receive the Bitcoin. And you're like, what? It's like, is the money actually there? And you get a little like, you know, nervous and things like that. When you buy EOS, you get it instantly. That's one thing, right? When, when you buy the ICO, it takes, you know, probably 24 hours for you to actually receive the coins. But if you buy it on the exchange, it happens instantly. And then basically Ethereum, when you purchase Ethereum, you probably notice the transaction speeds are a lot higher, which means if you're building an application with the Ethereum architecture, that affects your application. But the difference between Ethereum and EOS is it's decentralized when you use EOS versus Ethereum, so it's a little limiting. I'm not saying don't use EO, I mean Ethereum, it's just a little slower versus EOS. Does that make sense? But, but, but we're just learning about the Bitcoin blockchain. Right. And now everyone says switch to the Ethereum blockchain. So right. now there's like what, the EOS, the FOS, the GOS. Right. It's like, how do we decide what to build on and if there are going to be an almost infinite number of blockchains, how is there going to be enough processing power to ensure that any of them or the one you choose is the right one so, to build on? So, number one, instead of thinking about what blockchain am I going to build on, you can build your own. You can build your own. So that's the first path. If you don't have the resources to build your own, then I would take it a step further and build on EOS if that's mm -hmm. what problem I'm trying to solve or build on Ethereum. So, but, but, so if you build your own blockchain, I mean, the beauty of the blockchain is that it's distributed and Correct. that it's, it's transparent, except for now there's some right. like Hyperledger, which have <laughs> public, transparent and private. Uh, but, but if you build your own, how do you get it to, to, to be supported? Because if it's just you, then it might as well be centralized. Right, I, 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 get, I get what you're saying, but if you build your own, it still functions sort of like everyone, who has a Facebook account here? Who, so, do, who doesn't? So who right out there has a Facebook account and actually filters out what friends see which messages? Okay, Barely. that's an example of someone that would build their own blockchain versus someone who just puts it out to the public. So when you look at the blockchain, you can see every transaction. Just like on Facebook, you can see every conversation if all your conversations are public. But there's some messages that you kind of want to keep private, right? But still leverage transparent transactions. So how do you do that? By building your own blockchain that has different levels of transparency with your blockchain organization. Okay. Does that make sense? So how many of you are going to build your own blockchain? <laughs> right awesome. on. Awesome. Very cool. So, so, so what are you guys all building on down there? Are, we, are you betting on the Ethereum chain? Are you betting on different chains? What are you guys? What are you guys? What, what are you guys? Someone think? just said Tezos. That's funny. We're, at, we're building on top of Ethereum because Ethereum really, um, I, I guess, spearheaded the smart contract revolution. And for those of you who don't know what a smart contract is, it's basically a contract that's digital in the ledger for people to see. So it kind of automates uh, rights transparency and payment transparency. I mean, you can pretty much tell the smart contract, whatever you would put in a normal contract, whether it be purchasing a house, purchasing whatever there's some form of transaction that's taking place, you could put it into a smart contract and it could be in the public ledger. Um, and I think that you're gonna see future home buying 
being done on the blockchain. The, the top five industries that blockchain are going to disrupt, music is, is up there as one of the top five, as well as like real estate and healthcare and wherever there's, there's friction with contracts. Uh, you know, Ethereum and smart contracts kind of solves that problem. And one thing I want to add to what Eric was saying about Ethereum smart contracts is think about whatever industry you are, whatever niche you are in, and create templates for Ethereum smart contracts in your field. That's right. So once you figure out what that looks like for your industry that's tailored towards what you're doing, there's other businesses that can benefit from the knowledge that you have in that space. How, how many startups are in the room? How many, music, how many music startups are actually trying to raise money? How many of you are having a hard time? Keep your hands up. No, everyone's raised money as a music startup. All right. That's good. Sorry. Oh, I see Well... I, I, I highly recommend you look into incorporating blockchain technology into your platform if it makes sense and if it serves a utility for what you're doing and potentially go out there and try to do an ICO. It's an easier route to uh, how do I raise the capital needed to operate your business. Well, an ICO is definitely an easier route when it comes to receiving the funding, but it's actually not an easier route when it comes to what you have to do as far as the legal implications it's of really your hard, ICO. It's really hard, guys. It's not easy. <laughs> so you it's save money difficult. on the actual, like, the other side of the equation once you get past the lawyer threshold, but it's actually really expensive with the legal contracts and the legal implications based on which country you do the ICO in. So that's one thing to note. <coughs> Yeah, and this is a new world as well in terms of raising money as a startup, in terms of building on Ethereum, which is what we use at Hello Segoy because it makes the most sense right now. Um, it has a Turing complete programming language built on top called Solidity, which is akin to JavaScript, uh, to what JavaScript is to the web, that enables uh, developers and entrepreneurs to create these decentralized applications built on these smart contracts. Um, a way to think of a smart contract is like a vending machine where you put in a certain amount of money and you press a button and out of the vending machine comes, uh, let's say, a Diet Coke or whatever you ordered, right? Um, if you don't put any money into the smart contract, then you don't get your, your soft drink. And if you put the money in and you don't get the soft drink, then your smart contract is broken. Um, these smart contracts are, have so many different applications, especially in the music industry, um, from rights management, uh, data management, and certainly uh, as a ticket in terms of getting the event stakeholders paid and being able to track where the money goes and to whom um, at what time. Um, it offers a, a level of transparency that the current uh, siloed industry does not uh, afford or enable entrepreneurs or consumers or music industry folks, artists, musicians like myself, to see where that money is going and how, and how much they're actually getting paid Something that I haven't heard too much up here yet is how blockchain technologies enable disintermediation, meaning the cutting out of people who are taking so much money out of the pockets of the artists. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that's very fascinating to me as an artist, uh, formerly a songwriter, I guess still a songwriter at BMG, although I'm not doing that too much anymore. Uh, if I place a song in uh, This Is Us on NBC, I won't get paid for a year later uh, that doesn't make much sense to me. Blockchain provides a level of transparency that currently does not exist. And I'm sure you guys have more to talk about on that subject. Can I, I just wanted to chime in here and say um, I'm probably going to disagree with a lot of uh, you know, what's been said so far. I think blockchains are really hard. Um, they're really, really difficult. Um, there's, a lot, there's not a lot of mastery in the, in the ecosystem at the moment. 
Um, I think the ICO frenzy is um, is actually muddying the waters a lot. Um, mm -hmm. ICOs and token sales in general are really useful for protocol tokens. These are tokens that take some computing resource like storage or processing power and map them together into a global network. We have two really, really, really good examples of that that work today and have been working for a while. The first is Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, as I said before, like a spreadsheet or a database of all the Bitcoin transactions and balances. And there's a very, very well-tuned algorithm as to how people can update those balances. That means they can add a new block of Bitcoin transactions to a blockchain, which again is just like a big spreadsheet. And that works well, and it has been working, but it has its difficulties, as we've all seen, gets hacked, all those kind of things. And that just does one thing, right? All it does is track Bitcoin balances. Ethereum isn't just like a place to send transactions and run smart contracts. It's actually a big global supercomputer. It's like a big AWS instance. It's just a place to run stuff, loads of servers that map together. And instead of using servers stored in Amazon's database, it actually stores you know, it's actually using um, servers from everyone's computers who, is connect who are connected to the Ethereum blockchain. And that is difficult, right? Those guys worked for a very long time. And the ICO makes sense for them because what they do is you publish a white paper as a set of open source developers. People fund you and then you use that to develop the protocol and run it. There's no organization with, you know, equity and shares attached. That just complicates things. Bl blockchains and token sales are really good for that. We're now trying to extend that. We're all up here trying to extend that into the realm of um, apps products that sit at a different level to protocols, but they're hard, there's loads of problems, and just kind of adding blockchain in doesn't necessarily make it a tangible product, right? It just, it just it really you. does need to be something that's quite balanced. Um, and I think, you know, to achieve a really good blockchain system, technically you need something that's relatively easy to get going, but really, really hard to destroy. And that is Bitcoin. Try and take over Bitcoin, you need to control 51% of all the, the people running Bitcoin. It's almost impossible. Same with Ethereum. If you're just kind of adding a token into your system, chances are at some point someone's going to be able to overrun your system. As I said, it's really hard to build these things. So just kind of a little bit of a, a kind of a, a, a reset there, because I do think that you know yeah. it's, it's an exciting space. So I do think people are kind of piling in and kind of you know maybe maybe selling the vision a bit wrong. That's my two cents. So, so so we talk a lot about smart contracts, and that's good stuff. On we talk a lot about smart contracts, but the reality is, and, and you may be able to program them in 30 minutes and this and that. But for a lot of people out there who aren't even developers, we keep talking about these smart contracts that are going to do exactly what you want, and they're not going to have errors, and they're not going to pay the wrong person, and they're not going to be, I mean, I was a part of a project where they found a bug and reset the multi-sig wallet and took $16 million they had just raised. Um, wow. So considering all of these things, how do we go from there's a blockchain and we can code the smart contracts to something where people will be able to use it in a way where they actually have confidence that what they think is going to happen will happen under certain circumstances? That is a very good question. And it, it depends on who's setting up your blockchain organization and how thorough they are with the structure and the architecture. So emphasis on architecture so finding good architects to manage and maintain your contracts that's very important and so it goes back to building a really stable team and so do you think 
there will be, and how long will this take? Do you think there will be basically just tons of templated smart contracts and people will say, okay, I want this to happen. Here's four different people who have similar ones. This one's higher rated, so we'll go with this one and this person will get a, a small fee because it's their, will, will there be a smart, con will there be a smart contract marketplace of smart contracts? Well, that is a business opportunity. But another thing you can do is, one thing I do is I look at all the new ICOs, whether I'm going to invest in them or not, and I actually put whatever the minimum amount is, you know, with a threshold, just to see how they're handling their smart contracts and seeing how they're editing the smart contract, and I use that data to see how to structure differently, because everyone uses the technology differently. Does that make sense? So can I, can I just wanted to, to to just to explain a bit about smart contracts, I think when we hear the word smart and contracts, we obviously think about legal contracts and the two could not be further apart. So if we go back to kind of explaining how Ethereum works, we have our big spreadsheet, which is the blockchain. And what Ethereum does is it stores the state or the latest version of this global supercomputer, which is called Ethereum. And so when you build a smart contract, Essentially, I could write some code and deploy it to the Ethereum virtual machine, which is just the Ethereum server. And I could also write some code in a different language and deploy it to Amazon AWS. And if you go and visit my code in AWS, it will run, right? It's just like run the code in AWS. Smart contracts are just code or applications that we build and run on Ethereum. So they're called smart contracts because they'll just always run. Once they're deployed, they just always run. And also because we can integrate payments, transaction data as well. So if I want to send money from one Ethereum account to another, essentially a smart contract is just another account, like a bot account, and it just does things for us. So you know, it's not, it's not like we're deploying this, this, this smart thing that's purely legal. It's just an application that can, can uh, manipulate financial data and transactions and information. Um, and I just think it, does, it opens up some really interesting things because it's something that can be deployed and could be, say, part of an overall transaction or say, this is this part of my business codified. If you receive this transaction from this vendor, take the money, split it and send it to that person and that person, and then you know, move on and, and store this information here and store that information there, you can codify that and deploy it and that will always run. So I think the vending machine thing is a really good idea because again, you just code a vending machine and it does it. But, um, but these things are not contracts um, and they, they, you know, still have to make sure that you're kind of building something that is, mm -hmm. is, is an application, right? And still use code. Yeah. So, so how do we deal with the fact that the branding isn't all that good in this field? Because, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're talking about smart contracts, but they're really like, like blockchain applications or something like that. I mean, we look at it, I mean, ICO has to be the worst term ever. We're like, <laughs> oh no, we don't wanna, you know, it's nothing like securities except when it is and it's really, but you know, I, it's not an IPO, it's an ICO and don't think they're related. And it's just like. And a wallet's not really a wallet at all. No. Which is another misnomer, but. Yeah. <laughs> should be more like a keychain. Right, because a wallet is where your cryptocurrency lives, but it doesn't live inside something that you own. It's a key that enables you access to uh, the record, an address on the record. Which means a wallet could be something as simple as a USB drive that you have at home, or a printout on a sheet of paper. The private keys. That's what I do. Or paper wallets, which is just a sheet of paper. Which, all right, let's look at that absurdity for a second. <laughs> okay. We have these digital wallets, so, so no one can come and physically steal them. But you can forget the password, 
and it's gone forever. Okay, so what do you do? You print it out. You hope the maid doesn't find it. What are we going to do? Okay, I'm going to put it in the safety deposit box <laughs> so the government can't have access to my... S Wait a minute. Right. So how do we solve this kind of issue that it's all digital, but still for security, you end up going back to like a physical thing that if right. someone can take a picture of, they own your wallet. So I have an answer to that. Yeah. So how many of you in the audience have Coinbase wallets? Not anymore. How many of Please you move have your funds money in those Coinbase wallets? Not me. Okay. So my suggestion is please do not store your Thank digital you. currency on an exchange. Coinbase is an exchange. You don't have control over your private keys if it's on an exchange. And so what you should do is go to, go to your account on Coinbase and then look at the ledger. It's located inside of your preferences. And you can actually see every physical private key that you hold and write them down on a piece of paper or you can actually take a screenshot of what you're looking at and nest it in a really small picture. So pick a random picture on your desktop and then the key to your, you know, uncracking it could be like hair and then you just blow up the picture really, really big and put that private key inside of the hair and that's how you're going to securely have it on your computer. Yes. <laughs> and and that's, that sounds insane, but the, but benefit, the benefit is that Bitcoin is banking without banks. Yes. And banks take a transaction to maintain that record. And they charge an arm and a leg for that. And our financial systems are a, a form of control over all of us. And Bitcoin offers a way to exchange digital assets without the banks, without right. multinational corporations. Which puts you in charge of your own right. security. It doesn't exactly. make it more secure, it just makes it that you are in charge of that security. And that's Does a, that a trade-off. That's a trade-off right there. Yeah, so is, is the future like we're all going to just bank with Bitcoin? Very unlikely. Is the future that there's going to be some mix of digital and real currencies and fiat? And, you know, yeah, probably more likely. In the same way that you know, there are some people who, you know, have dishwashers and fridges and freezers, but still kind of like wash their dishes by hand because, you know, everything isn't kind of uniform. We don't do everything all the same. We kind of decide what we want to use, when and where. So I think that, you know, so, so how do you both securely protect your digital coins, but still have it in a way where someone, if you die, can have access to them? So it's like you're going to put them in the eyeball of some little picture, and either you write down, I mean, this is like, <laughs> like a Gordian knot, but it's like it's the reality we're dealing with. How, how do you right. deal with keeping I it have secure an so it's that. not stolen? I have an answer to that. But you, you're the best. Go on. <laughs> so one of the answers to that is, um, so basically, this isn't, I would say this is probably, if I had to give you a weight, 75% secure. I've always put that 25% of someone being able to hack and getting into your old device. So basically, you go to Goodwill, and you purchase a really old computer device, and never put it online. It doesn't mean someone can't hack it just because it's not online, Okay. And you take out all the location services of that device. So not only do you not put it online, but you take out all the location services, 
and you disable iTunes and you disable any kind of like Netscape if it's that old, right? Or any kind of Microsoft <laughs> application. And then you store your private keys on this device. And as I said, that's 75% secure because there's still a 25% chance that someone can still hack that. But the chances are very or low. Or it could be lost in a fire. Yes. It could be crashed no, in well, a Well, yes. It, even if it's lost in a fire, there's a way to recover your hard drive. So. Sort of, sort of. I mean, it's tough. We've been having all these fires here in Northern California, <laughs> and people's computers get burned up, or we got, I mean, they're legalizing cannabis now, and they, <laughs> you know. Another thing is you can not store Not only them did 21 farms burn, but because they're not able to use the banking system, duffel bags with millions of dollars just burned. Right. And so... It's, it's how do you store it both in a digital way? Like, that's one advantage of banks theoretically. It doesn't work the other way. If I lose all of my data then about my insurance. bank account, yes. it will still be recovered. Which is also a new business opportunity for insurance companies offering the insurance for digital currency, right? So there's a business opportunity there. But that's a very difficult one because it's really easy to fake theft in the digital world. Just like when you get into a car accident and you fight for your insurance. Yes and no. With a car accident, there's much more physical. Right. There's uh, physical assets there. Yes. Whereas it's and it's a big problem. People see this nowadays. It's like, you know, people buy coins or whatever. They watch them go up and up. They get stolen, and then the IRS says, "Prove it. Prove you didn't transfer it into another wallet that you own." And you're like, "We can't." And then they're like, "Well." And you, you can't, yeah, pay your taxes. So, all right, so how do you guys deal with all your taxes when dealing with digital currencies? Come on, you buy them, you sell them. Every time you buy a sandwich, it's a capital gain. I mean, seriously, how are we going to get this adopted as a payment method when you can't, when you can't even deal with the accounting and taxes from well, just doing basic transactions. So basically, this is all a fraud. The, the easy, the easy answer to this question, depending on what state you live in. Um, so basically, the moment you cash out your digital currency, like you cash it out and you put it, you know, and then you transfer it into your American bank account, that's when you have a tax problem. But the moment you're still theoretically trading it on the exchange, right? You haven't transferred it into your American bank account, so you're not liable for taxes just yet. So that's one thing to Do know. Do we have any tax accountants out in this field here? Anyone? <laughs> Second of all, when you're, let's say you're buying other cryptocurrencies that are not Bitcoin, that are Litecoin and what have you, my suggestion would be to just to make it easier, just everything you're trying to report to the IRS, transfer it into Bitcoin first and then to the American or your European dollar, whichever dollar you're using. Does that make sense? Con Congress is trying to pass a law right now. Someone in Congress wrote a bill that said that anyone who owns cryptocurrency in America has to let the American government know that it's in a wallet, even if they don't remove it from the wallet and and put into their American account, which they didn't have to claim on, on their personal income tax, that if they even have anything, cryptocurrency, anywhere in the world, they have to tell the government. I don't think that there's a chance in hell that bill is going to pass, but they're trying to. Because it hasn't to. passed yet. No, it, it definitely passed. hasn't passed yet. But that doesn't mean not to report your Bitcoin, basically. Yeah, especially if you're a business, so, you hold any money, yeah. then yeah, you need you to declare to, it's, to, for, it's foreign currency, right? Yeah, you have to report, you have to report your earnings, you know, uh, but 
But it makes it easier when you take the Bitcoin and you transfer it into American dollars. So that's the <laughs> hack. So basically, don't leave it in Bitcoin if you're trying to transfer. If you're trying to, you know, basically report it to the IRS and do proper accounting, please just take the Bitcoin, exchange it for American dollars, and report it in that way. Does that make sense? How many people in this room think that ICOs are at a bubble right now, or the price of Bitcoin and Ethereum is, is at a bubble? Separate questions, I think. What's that? Separate questions. <laughs> Separate questions, I guess. Separate That's questions, true. Yeah. I think Bitcoin's undervalued. That's right. Agreed. Massively. Yep. Same with Ethereum. I think Bitcoin will be at $10,000 pretty soon. Disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor. So. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been projected that by, well, to give you some an idea, in February of this year, all cryptocurrencies, the market capitalization was close to $20 billion. Uh, right now, it's at somewhere around $150 billion, billion and it's yes. projected by 2025 that market capitalization could be as high as $5 trillion. Right. So to say that we're in a bubble right now is kind of a joke. I think yep. we are just in the beginning. $150 billion market cap is a drop in the bucket compared to the, was it, $70 trillion currencies floating around the planet. But another thing to note about that is if you compare cryptocurrencies to the stock market, cryptocurrencies are going through what I like to call three-month cycles. So if you are actively trading cryptocurrency, you need to know that. It's not like stocks. It's not more long-term. It's 24-7, too. It's definitely a 24-7 marketplace that the cycles happen in three-month periods. So think about that when you're trading cryptocurrency. I think, yeah. I think they said that like less than 1% of the population, or at least the population in America, has some form of cryptocurrency. So there's no way that we can be at a bubble if only less than 1% of the country has cryptocurrency. If we're like 30 or 40%, you know, but less than 1%, we're nowhere near it. They're saying it could be a million, a million dollars for a Bitcoin soon. Like well, I think cryptocurrency year. is definitely the future of money. So yeah. It's an alternative solution to fiat to the traditional banking systems. Not necessarily a replacement, it could be, we don't know that yet, but certainly an alternative. And when you think about how Bitcoin came about, it was in response to the financial crisis of 2008. Um, at that point, we didn't have an alternative system to place our, our digital assets, to place our money. Now we do. And as the space continues to grow, I think we're gonna see more of a widespread adoption and a number of people who don't want to play by the traditional banking systems that want a way to bank without having that centralization, um, that, that central record-keeping system. Um, I think we are in the embryonic stage. I think we are even before the early adopter stage. I think most of us up here on, on stage, um, well, I'll speak for myself, are kind of insane, and we're hedging a huge bet on the future here. Um, and we don't have answers to a lot of these questions, and a lot of the technology hasn't been built out yet, but it's going to take people exploring the possibilities to set that precedent. And I, I know I can speak for myself and perhaps others up here, we're not okay waiting around for someone else to build out the solutions. Some, some of us have to or are driven to creating those solutions and uh, walking into the forest before everybody else to see if there's anything there that's gonna that's gonna eat the tribe, so to speak. And another thing I want to say is, just because cryptocurrency is the future of money, it doesn't make it more secure. So that's another thing. Please do a lot of research before buying any cryptocurrency, because there are a lot of scams out there. 
if, if, if you're a startup or even an established business, um, there, there's money to be made from the unbanked uh, across, across the world. We're very fortunate to be in America. But internationally, banking, having a traditional bank account is hard for a lot of people in a lot of countries. And cryptocurrency kind of solves that issue. And if, if people can transact um, openly um, in a decentralized manner, then that means that you can generate more money or revenue for your business if you figure out how to accept cryptocurrency. You don't have to do an ICO or blockchain. Just a way to accept cryptocurrency means that you can increase your bottom line of your business. And another thing to note is if any of you guys, does anyone have an e-commerce site or e-commerce business in the room? The way you can accept cryptocurrency today is by taking your Shopify account and just connecting up with Bitcoin payments. Just instantly, you can do it in the browser. It's a two-step process, and you can start accepting Bitcoin today. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty early with, with, with these cryptocurrencies. So one thing that I, I find is kind of interesting is that, you know, the people who have made a lot of money in crypto want to spend it. And if you end up being on these early systems that that launch as a musician, a disproportionate amount of money and attention and energy may go to you. It's sort of like I look at, you know, when like Zoe Keating, you know, ended up on Twitter at the start and now has millions of users. Or I look at, you know, the back in the days of mp3.com, which was really interesting because it was like, boo, hiss, shut them down, worst thing for musicians ever, they could sell their music directly, or whatever. You know, but when they had their IPO, they uh, let musicians get in on the IPO, and I have a couple friends who ended up making like $80,000 off of the shares they bought because they were a musician on the system, which is a hell of a lot more than they made being a musician. So um, traditionally for me, when looking at how musicians can make money, is if you could find the place where the money vastly out outweighs the number of musicians already on the platform, that's a good good suggestion. So my suggestion is, and I'm not saying specifically any of the folks up here, but if you see something that all of a sudden is getting popular or about to get popular and you're like, well, this applies to music or I could be one of the first people or they'll give me a promotion, you know, they'll, they'll promote me, very often getting in early is a really good way to do it. And what I will also throw out there is, let, let me go back to what they were saying a little bit about 1% of the population now having cryptocurrency. And I, that's, it's a very small amount. And the way I look at it is I look at like, you know, so few people own Bitcoin now, and it still has this value, and there's a fixed amount that will ever exist. You know, there's a cap. Same with Ethereum not necessarily all these IPCOs, but some of the core coins. And so if all of a sudden, 10 times as many people end up having the same amount of Bitcoin, the, the same dollar amount, that means the price has to 10x. So the way I look at it, when I'm dealing with really sophisticated folks, basically I'm like, because all the family offices, Brian, what's the story? It's the top performing asset class for like the last four years how do we deal with it? And then I go through the whole thing and they go, wow, that's fascinating. I never got it before. We're not going to go near that. What's it backed by? Um, you know, it's, it's really a difficult, it's difficult to get around it. But what will happen as I, as I see it is there's a 30% chance it goes to zero. It's a 30% chance it kind of floats in the same range. There's a 30% plus chance it 10 X's. And when you look at those and that, some people say a lot more. You look at those projected returns, it's something that I'm willing to 
you know, look at compared to like the returns I'm getting in bonds or anything like that. Um, so never invest more than you can afford to lose. Try not to chase the trading. The trading will kill you. Um, there's one thing that I just hear widely said that I'm just like, oh shit, this is gonna fuck people up. Um, so say, and I'm, I, that's why I was hoping there was a tax account out here, right? So what I keep hearing is, if you, you buy some Bitcoin, it goes up. You swap it into Ethereum, you swap it into NEO, you swap it into some other asset. You don't have to pay taxes on that, on those gains, until you turn it into U.S. dollars, right? Not true. No! Not true. Right. Totally wrong. And it's really interesting because I see people who have made thousands of trades, and they're basically saying this will all just wash out when I cash out, and when the IRS gets to them, it's going to be so ugly. Um, so, which is why there's a lot of different strategies and some are better than others. Um, not, not, not locking in gains like that you have to pay taxes on, I think is a pretty good one. Um, and that's why people talk about holding, which is like holding except they put the D before, it also stands on for like, stands for hold on for dear life. <laughs> um, because if you watch it every day going up and down, it'll drive you insane. Um, I dealt with this, you know, through, I mean, we had a, a fabulous acquisition by a wonderful, not so wonderful company where the stock was trading at 165 and then by the time we sold our last tranche, it was trading for three. And if we hadn't been able to sell it privately because we weren't allowed to publicly, we would have owed millions of dollars in taxes for hundreds of thousands of dollars in assets. And you're gonna have people losing their houses over their Bitcoin trading. So, so, so how do we deal with this reality and still have it be something everybody wants to use? So, so fun fact, the amount of money that token purchasers have spent to buy tokens in ICOs and businesses, I think has superseded traditional venture capital by, what is it, one and a half times? So the amount of money flowing into the ICO space is literally destroying um, VC investment in terms of, from a sheer uh, volume percentage. So any fellow entrepreneurs in the room, that should be a glimmer of hope for you. So anyway. It is really interesting. And now there's well, another... I would like to oh, touch on what you were saying. So another thing to think about is, you know, when you do get audited, because you're using the blockchain, it's public transactions. So about what he was saying about trading, they can see publicly after they see a transaction ID all the trades you've ever made to the beginning of time because blockchain is so transparent. So think about that when you're doing your trading strategies. It's very similar, and this all very ties, easy to audit. <laughs> ties together so directly. So everybody here knows about BitTorrent, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you all know that it's how people swap files anonymously and you could never track where they came from, right? Wrong! <laughs> 
basically, when you're downloading a file, you know the IP address of everybody who's sharing it with you. Exactly. It is fully transparent. Which is also mapped directly to your device. So the IP is directly to your device, to your location. They can see exactly where you're sitting in this room right now, if you're doing it in this room right now. Yes. Because your cell phone carrier gives all this information to all the agencies that are willing to pay for it. So with Bitcoin... Just like BitTorrent, it's similarly fully anonymous, right? Wrong. 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 It sort of is if they can't track you putting in the money or taking the money out. Exactly. But I, I for instance, put people in a very weird situation. I shouldn't even be saying this. I'll get fucking subpoenaed. Um, in a weird situation, my lawyer's there shaking his head no. Uh, I don't care. So, so what happens is... I sell tickets for Bitcoin and Ethereum, and they come in as anonymous. I don't know where they come from. So how do I know who's supposed to pick up the ticket? How do I know what's supposed to go on their badge? I get them to Use send, Hello Segoy. <laughs> I se they send me an email nice. with their name that then could be attached to any other transactions which come out of that wallet. So you'll have this anonymous chain and then one person will slip up and reveal who they are in some other way and then what you thought Put was anonymous is fully traced right then. And according to what the government's running these days, these programs to track transactions <laughs> on the blockchain, Anyone who thinks it's anonymous, it's about as anonymous as robbing a bank with a bag over your head. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's no way. I mean, you could be anonymous, sort of. You think you're anonymous, you're not. But anyway, what's well, that? Monero, Zcash. Another thing to think about is even when you take your phone off of Wi-Fi and you're offline, you're not anonymous. Because every device has an IP address, which is how we track all your transactions through your IP address, which is mapped to your device. Does that so, make sense? Yeah. And so to tie together the BitTorrent and the Bitcoin, Bram Cohen is actually building a coin at this point. He built BitTorrent. He's building a new coin that is vastly superior to the ones that exist. And I'm so happy I got in on the seed round. Anyway, so tell me, you guys, do you think it's, it's people can actually make money by investing in ICOs, or do you make money by being the ICO and selling it to other people? I would say ICOs are very risky, so please do your research. They're highly, highly risky. There's a lot popping up every day. I mean, but I'm not saying that don't invest in ICOs. I'm just saying do the due diligence, do the research before putting any dollars in. All right, actually, let's, let's just go. Actually, do we have an announcement from Hello Segoy? Do you want to talk about what you're doing? I think we heard something was something. Yeah, we're going to be releasing our white paper uh, next week. We had some other announcements planned, but things changed. Uh, so that's if you guys want to read our analysis of the primary and secondary market relationship and a token that was designed specifically to align the economic interests of artists, event organizers, vendor services, and consumers, 
Uh, you can check that out next week, kind of outlines our token. Um, I prefer to call ICOs token generation events. Uh, it's another terminology uh, that my legal counsel has advised that I use <laughs> in the US. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you can check that out next week. Very excited to get this paper out there. And um, please provide your feedback. You can also sign up for our newsletter on hellosegoy.com. Another thing I'd like to mention is if you go to coinmarketcap.com and take $100, you can take the top 10 cryptocurrencies and just take that $100 and divide it up evenly in the top 10 just to you know play around with this. If you're not an accredited investor, you're not allowed to participate in America in the crowd sale portion of an ICO. Only when the token actually hits the exchange are you then allowed to go purchase the tokens. That's the case if it's a security Right, but not if it's a, a pre-purchase. You mean a utility? Well, the lawyers now are advising that even if it's a utility, you stay away from offering the uh, the, the, the purchasing uh, ability to non-accredited investors. Which is why if you set up a VPN and you're an American citizen, you can do a workaround. Hey, so. now, I can't say that. But you can. <laughs> so Bear Eternal, using BearEternal.com is a way to set up a VPN really easily on your browser. And I would recommend the paid version because what you don't want to happen is you're investing in an ICO and then your internet connection dies on you. When you buy the you know, premium version, they make sure that the transaction is going to be traceable. And if the internet dies on you, it freezes the transaction. But that does not happen with the free option. Well, one of the most important aspects of blockchain is community. And in order to even run a successful ICO, you have to have the community behind you, which is why you see all these ICOs with like Telegram and Slack channels. Um, so our white paper has been published at tune.recogram.com. I would love all of your feedback in this room because I feel that you guys are obviously the top and the creme de la creme in the music technology space. And I'd love for you guys to rip it apart or tell me what you like or what you don't like about it um, before we actually start accepting money from our uh, vetted investors. So vetted token purchasers. So, so how do we deal? Well said. How do we deal with the fact that we're in America, rah rah, America, best country ever, right? And but we have a situation where in the past there was Silicon Valley, there was Cambridge and Boston, there were all these great centers, and now you have a situation where some of the best and brightest I know from the Bay Area in America in the blockchain space are essentially setting up their businesses in other countries and not allowing Americans even to take part in it due to our regulatory regime. Do we fall behind? Do we change the laws? Can we change the laws? How do we deal on a global marketplace when the laws in the US make it difficult to compete? I'm in the middle of that right now and I'd like to answer that. We are falling behind. We're falling behind Switzerland. We're falling behind Japan. Singapore. We're, we're falling, be well Singapore started shutting, shutting them down. Uh, we were falling behind you know, um, you know, Gibraltar. I mean, yeah, we're we're falling behind, and that's and that's the major problem that I guess um, the U.S. attorneys and the SEC are trying to figure out because they realize that. Um, I believe that there is, the, you know, there there should be some regulation in the ICO space, and the consumer, the the non-accredited investor, should certainly have uh, a layer a layer of protection. Um, with that being said, I don't know who's watched the Bitcoin documentary on Netflix, but the head attorney. For the SEC, this is like the first, like I think it was a law, like New York law. The head attorney for the SEC in New York, like, came up with this, the, these rules for like ICOs and cryptocurrency. Then left the SEC, made it really complicated to navigate that 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 um, legal uh, roadmap, that legal crap that he put together. 
He then left the SEC, became a, like an independent attorney from the SEC, and charges a shit ton of money to, to interpret the, what he said. To interpret what he wrote in the law. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's capitalizing off of this crazy, these crazy regulations that he's putting in place. So yes, we're losing out on we're, we're not innovating in the space because of reasons like that, and that's about the most I can say. Yeah, regulation's a double-edged sword, as it provides a safety net for people to participate in the cryptocurrency space, but as long as it doesn't restrict innovation. And I think it's, we don't really know what the regulatory uh, entities are going to do and how they're going to treat tokens versus utility versus a currency. Um, and I would hope moving forward that there's a safety net for those of you that want to participate in this new digital medium um, as more people participate in cryptocurrencies it stabilizes the marketplace and provides more of a use case more of a utility um, that's a good thing what's not good is regulation that prevents companies like ours here up on stage from innovating this new technology and uh, we don't quite know what's going to happen it's gonna be really interesting to find yeah. out I mean and it's really interesting because I have a bunch of friends who are like because everyone's trying to be like we're not a security and then I have a bunch of friends who are saying embrace being a security because it provides a lot more you know basis in the traditional way of doing more things security you're much less <laughs> likely to get smacked and the other thing is when it's a security it's not taxable income, so it's kind of crazy all these people who are raising millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, and just paying millions in taxes before anything even happens. You're taking a haircut for the government before we even start. Do we have a question over here? Hi, Brian. Um, so I've been coming to this conference forever, and I called Brian a couple weeks ago, and I said, what is this cryptocurrency thing? Um, so I'm CFO of a company called Insomniac. We run Electric Daisy Carnival. We're the biggest rave dance music guys on the planet. So I started looking into this, and what I found is there was a, and a bunch of, I have 150 20-somethings that work for me. I found that there were 35 of them involved in a cryptocurrency trading group within the company. And instead of working, they're sitting there <laughs> trading cryptocurrency. Uh, and so I got really fascinated by this. Um, I will also say that having been around in 91, this is the craziest ass conversation I've ever fucking been a part of. <laughs> like, I mean, forget about the internet and forget about MP3s. Like, this is changing banking and commerce in a major way. It's changing the music industry, which is what we're all here for, right? So. Well, and, and I'm gonna, I, I do have a question. One more comment is uh, my buddy just raised 1.5 billion to put into this space, you know who he is. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> he named him. We had dinner last night, and he and he, he he said he said the killer apps for this are music and cannabis. Interestingly, right? Wow. So, um, I see this as a business opportunity for my business. We've got millions and millions of fans. We'll do 1.3 million tickets this year, right? Nine figures in revenue. Blah 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 blah. But. We're half owned by Live Nation. Ticketing is controlled by Ticketmaster and or Frontgate. And even if you go through Eventbrite or somebody else, and then to, to your name's Eric, right? To, to, to your point, I mean, so great. You're going to go find young artists, and then you're going to protect their copyrights, but you are building from zero, right? Because between Live Nation and Universal Music Group, the music business is indeed a fucking monopoly. So... We're at a music tech conference. 
Um, how do you break through? And by the way, I want to play, so invite <laughs> me in. I'm in. But, but seriously, how do you break through? How do you, when you say how do you break through, what do you mean, what do you mean, how do you break through, or how? No, no, no. How, how, how do you get traction? I mean, honestly, like how, you. How do you, I get traction you, on the ICO? No, how do you get traction? Because if you're providing a service to artists, right, right, and they can control their copyrights, they can do direct transactions. By the way, the internet was supposed to be the panacea for direct-to-consumer, right? This was the artist opportunity to go make money. And what did it do? It was the exact opposite. What happened is it became cluttered. How do you get attention? So I just want to understand, like, I'll how do you get... I'll speak to that. Yeah. So, so basically, I, online, you're not just competing with the music industry when you have an artist. You're competing with the world and the world marketing departments. So how do you beat the noise by being more relevant than them? That's how you beat the noise. Well, there's... So we have like a really high level uh, marketing strategy, which I think is kind of what you're asking. But like I said before, blockchain is all built on community. How many people here have like Apple Music or Spotify? You guys pay them, right? They don't pay you? Well, the good news is, is that if we sell uh, $100 million in tokens, we'll be able to reward the community who comes onto Recordgram, who discovers talent and then shares that content on their various platforms. It's kind of like gamifying the sharing and discovery of, of talent. So that's the number one way that we're going to grow our platform for the user community and the artist community is, is, is giving them a tune token, um, which actually can then, they can then, you know, uh, transfer over to Ethereum and then back into fiat currency. So we're actually paying them small fractions of money to come onto our platform and use it and discover it and uh, interact with it. Another thing is the content that's shown to you versus the content that's not shown to you is based on an algorithm. And so basically understanding the search algorithms can help you as well to fight through the noise. Two responses, value and convenience. If through building a event management platform that makes the event organizers more money and the artists more money, well, that becomes very attractive. Uh, there's also convenience, which is not something that is prevalent in the space at the moment, but will be as we start to build out more of this infrastructure and it'll be more convenient for people to use a blockchain-based platform. Uh, so I guess the number one response is value, right? Imagine the, the world, it's, it's hard to imagine the world before smartphones because they provide this incredible value. They connect all of us in this unimaginable way. Uh, I believe that by building a technology based on the blockchain, that provides more value, inherent value to the users of that network, they're going to choose that network. Um, but how do they choose that network if they don't know about it, based on what you're saying? Well, I think Brian hit it earlier. There's a marketing issue, right? Right, right? a branding issue. But listen, I only bring this up to be clear. I'm rooting for this. Okay, we need de we need less monopolies. We need less. We need decentralization. We do need empowerment. And unfortunately, the internet did not deliver that. Unequivocally, it did not deliver that. So maybe decentralizing commerce and banking will. Um, I'm all in, I'm rooting for you guys, thank you. So I just wanted to, just the only thing I would say to that is, we need to be really specific about the supply we're talking about decentralizing. So will blockchain help us to decentralize ownership of rights? Not directly. We're not saying that all of a sudden we're gonna take all of the rights owned by universal and then just give it to everyone. That's not what's happening. But in terms of decentralization of data, 
which is exactly what, say, Bit the Bitcoin blockchain does. It decentralizes the ownership of the data. Bitcoin is basically an inclusive data platform. You can push data in, you can pull it out. You want to get into the Bitcoin, go and buy some. You can do it today, you can do it tomorrow. Um, and the same could be said of data, the actual data that you know, details the rights or explains the rights. And that's really where our platform focuses. We're just talking about data, right? And there's no monopoly on information, right? Anybody can put it in. In terms of the rights, no, that's, that's completely different. That's what labels are good at. Labels can do that. We stick to the data. The biggest, the biggest hurdle that we have record and probably most, I, I don't want to speak, for, I'm sure most of us on this panel, as well as anyone else that's integrating blockchain, Brian kind of alluded, that we have to deal with is that frictionless um, transaction system. Um, it, we all made it seem like it was really super, super complex, and, and it's not as complex as I think we're all making it seem, but it is, it's definitely not, here's, here's one dollar, give me a, you know, some M&M candy. It's not, it's not that easy, but there are, I've been researching, there's a lot of technologies that are being built. Um, between now and the six months that I think is going to ease that frictionless um, payment system, uh, you know, Floyd Mayweather, so, so that when, when, when people are transacting with, um, with cryptocurrency, they really don't even know that they're transacting with cryptocurrency, whether it's for in-app purchasing or purchasing uh, tickets or, or whatever it is. It, it just kind of happens in the back end without them knowing. And once I think we get to that level, I think it's going to help with the, the product adoption. And, and rumors that Uber is going to switch to cryptocurrency-only payments, rumors, okay? Uh, that won't happen. Well, <laughs> it, could be, it could be, I mean, that's, that could... That, that will definitely help out the frictionless uh, situation we have going on right now because no one's going to give up Uber, right? They'll learn how to use it and how to transact with it, with cryptocurrency. But Amazon is going all crypto, right? Am no, just kidding. Sorry, that's a joke. It's not happening. Uber stock. Right so assuming, assuming you get the marketing problem solved and the adoption problem solved, the decentralization of the data is how you break through. The monopoly doesn't want the transparency, right? Um, and so we want the transparency, and if we want the transparency and we own the data, then we break through. Well, I think your biggest hurdle on a basic level is educating the people about the service. Like, what is your, your road track on, on educating? I work for artists all the time. I understand the, the thought process, what they do, and the process they go through. At the end of the day, what y'all talking about is complicated in their head. So how are you going to educate them on a simple process that sounds so complicated? Well, there's there's two ways that it's happening right now. It's happening at local meetups all over the world. I mean, I just literally flew in from Dubai. They were having like four cryptocurrency blockchain ICO meetups. It's, uh, there's three that are happening tonight in San Francisco. Um, in major, even in little cities, like, so go to those meetups. Um, but, you know, from, from a commercial standpoint, which I think might, is what you're alluding to, I mean, you have people like Paris Hilton and Floyd Mayweather and freaking Ghostface killer from Wu-Tang. Like, it, it, you know, from people from Ghostface to Floyd Mayweather are talking about it, the, the public is going to take, take note of it and is going to try to learn uh, exactly what they're talking about. I think that's going to help. Yeah, and I don't think that blockchain should really matter in any of this. It should be that it's something better than what exists now. Right. And blockchain is not a solution for everything. And I think because it's white hot right now, people are trying to force the round peg into the square hole. And education is absolutely important, but I think a value, adding value to something, making something better, innovating on something, and then having that value intrinsic to whatever it is, whatever product that you're building, is how this is gonna catch on in the mainstream. Uh, an example would be when we board an airplane, we don't ask the pilot how the plane takes off. 
the pilot may not even know what happens in the engine. You know, what we care about is the experience. And I think we need to build applications that solve actual problems. And blockchain is the best solution to solve that problem. Not because it's a buzzword, but because it makes more sense for the problem that we're trying to solve. And it starts with the problem and how this will work moving forward and how it will gain mainstream adoption is that this technology is the best solution to rights management, to ticket sales, to banking, the unbanked, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the public is educating themselves. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll literally take a look at the correlation between the price of Bitcoin and Google searches for, for Bitcoin, and you'll see it's like literally as Bitcoin goes up, the searches on Google go right, right along with it. So it's funny how people are attracted to money and they want to learn like what's going, what's going on. Okay, next question. Okay, this maybe follows on a little bit to this last answer. Do any of you, and for example, in the ticketing services where you're selling tickets, the use case that you talked about and the standard use case, a number of ticketing companies are trying to do this to prevent fraud by using blockchain. So from your MVP and your beta testing, have you do you actually have any metrics that prove out that use case yet? Not at the moment. Um, there are lots of holes in our minimum viable product. That's what it is. It's minimally viable. Um, at the moment, there are some loopholes, but we are what we've identified through our use cases um, are what those holes are. So now we know where, where the holes in the bucket are to plug. Um, and it took us building something, releasing something. Um, you know, if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you ship too late. And so we wanted to get something out there even before the white paper so that our white paper could inform those problems and plug some of those holes. Um, and we're currently developing solutions to some of the problems that we've identified with security. Yeah, ship early and ship often. Maybe one more question, Dan. Thanks. Um, so we keep talking about how the market cap's gonna go up, five trillion, you know, currency by fiat is, is dead or, or slipping. But we're also talking about how this is supposed to be a marketing or education problem. Um, I think it's a user experience problem. Uh, I think Brian asked the question earlier, I don't, I'm not sure how it, if it got answered, uh, but what's it gonna take to get to that point? I personally believe that unless the average musician or employee understands what this is and you know doesn't have a fear that they're going to lose all their money i mean you talked about how a uh i think you mentioned that lose like all a, your money sign with a label huh? well sorry, yeah sorry, i mean sorry. a vc a vc wouldn't do it because they couldn't touch it right so is anybody working on making that user experience better for the layman and how's that going i think coinbase is trying really hard to make that easier um the exchange is where people are going to trade their fiat currency for cryptocurrencies. It's in large part the first point of entry into this new space. So I think it is incredibly important that Coinbase focus on that. I know they've just received a tremendous amount of investment and are working towards making the user interface more palatable. The unfortunate thing is because it's so heavily regulated, KYC, anti-money laundering rules, there's an amount of hurdles or yeah you could say hurdles uh, hoops of fire you need to backflip through to get onto the exchange but i think that's the starting point and then from there all of the applications the, the decentralized applications that we're building it needs to feel like how the internet feels to us right now and we're still trying to figure that out at least from my perspective
I think I kind of addressed this earlier. I literally don't. I, I literally don't sleep at night trying to figure out a solution to that problem. We're, we at Recordgram are not going to figure out the solution, but we are going to find someone who has a solution and integrate it into our platform. And like I said, I've researched a lot of companies out there that are, they're all have a different take on it. And I think that within six months, there's going to be a, a, a better solution than there is now, and I think it's only going to improve from there. So my question to you: um, What problem are you trying to solve with it? So I can suggest something that would be easier for you. I think these executes need these ex, these ICOs need to start executing and actually having products or services in the marketplace where people can actually use their tokens that they purchased, uh, their utility tokens for a utility function. Right now, like I said, the majority of them are just white papers with no product. Once that product comes out there, and you can you know buy decentralized server space and, and not use necessarily Amazon Web Services and use everyone's computers and hard drives in here, I think there's a real value there. It's not, you know, it's, again, the, the ICO space is what, eight, eight months old, a year old, and it takes time to build these products. And I think that when some of these uh, revolutionary products come out in the marketplace, you'll see people using their, their, their tokens and you'll see more, more adoption coming. Yeah, I think it's like with any product, you got, it's got to, you know, iterate and adopt, I think. I think uh, you mentioned Uber forcing people to use cryptocurrency. I think that's the stupidest idea in the world. No. I think there's absolutely no way a company like Uber, who's going to have an IPO at some point, is going to force everybody in I, the country. I to just use I don't work for Uber. I just said it was yeah, no, that, that's, 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 I, I, well, can't, I can't imagine that happening. I'd like it's to not touch understood. on that. So there's plenty you can't imagine, Dan. You've been wrong so many times. Oh, very funny. So um, something right. to note. Something to note about that is that the entire country of India has already moved 100% to digital currency, 100%. How and it took them 90 days. Let's go there 90 days. Second. They are ahead of the curve. We are way behind. How about way that behind. move by How many India? people because have currency in India? we all look at our federal currencies, right? And that's secure, and that's the real money. And then India said all notes over this certain value, which wasn't too high, you turn them into us now for balance or they're forever not worth any money, okay? So we start having these situations where basically people are like, who could ever trust these digital currencies? <laughs> Sorry. Brian, I don't think that's that's not the point. I think the, the, the point is is that, um, no, listen, I, to be honest, uh, to be clear, I mean, I'm, I'm bullish on it. I've got investments in it. I don't want to see it lost. But my, my point is is that aside from India, et cetera, until the average person in the United States can get a paycheck with cryptocurrency and spend it and use it, I think we're going to have a, uh, some problems. So I view it as an end-user, user experience so, problem. So yeah, the internet sucked in '93 too, but we figured it out. So, so the ruler of Dubai is my friend. I'm not even kidding. And he's actually by 2020, the Dubai government is supposed to be completely on blockchain. So all of their—I don't know if it's social security, whatever, everything, healthcare, everything is supposed to be in uh, in, in the Dubai government's blockchain that they're actually building right now. So uh, again, not America, but you know, not so India. We don't know where the hell this is going. But we're figuring it out. And that's the thing I love, is you have these things, and they may work. They may not work. Are they going to fulfill the best vision of the biggest visionary? Hell no. Is it going to take it somewhere past where we are now? Hell yes. 
I mean, what we really haven't spoken to about is like a lot of the blockchain stuff. I mean, we have a startup that failed a couple of years ago whose aim was to put copyrights on the blockchain. Because the reality is a coin is created, like a copyright is created, and then it's transferred, and then it's tracked. And why do we have a copyright system where the copyright office pretty much will show you the most recent thing, but won't show you all the details which enable you to build a business around it. Mm -hmm. And it was so obvious to us that we ran into the record industry, who's like, make it transparent, ha ha, you know? So we don't know where it's going, you know? <laughs> but you also have these situations where, and it's so funny because there's so many people I respect on so many different sides of the, the issue. It's like, we're the hugest ever, that's not gonna be relevant. Okay, we're the little guy just starting out. They have. 100% of the market, we're gonna crush them. And it's just, how does this, where does it meet in the middle where, you know, it's so funny, like when we were around in the 90s and we're like, we've got this great idea, we're gonna make it so people can take their music and sell it themselves. And now it's like, that's just like, that seems so antiquated that, that in the early 90s, what were you gonna do? You're gonna like, put an ad in the back of a magazine and people are gonna send you checks and you're gonna put the album in the mail. It's like, this stuff just changes. And it was really interesting, as we all know, the record industry was very much about, we don't want people distributing music on the internet. And now, I mean, other people have better numbers than I am, but, but how's digital compared to physical at this point? Is it larger? So, so things change over time and it's really interesting. And I think that what we're seeing here is the sort of thing, and we have no idea what's gonna happen. And there's gonna be a thousand ticketing companies that pop up. And how many of them will win? Two? And people are like, oh look, you know, that proves that it really didn't work. But you look at how many search engines there were and who won? Google. You know, and so we're in this really fascinating time and it's one of the more interesting things that, that I've seen. So that's why we also, Future of Money and Technology Summit on December 4th, we're gonna continue this conversation and just all I have to say is dig in. Fit, you know, get in where you fit in, is a phrase a friend uses because wherever it works, it works. You know, we had a friend who was running around here a couple years ago, giving away negligible amounts of Bitcoin. I think he was giving people, you know, and that stuff over time becomes real. We had people buying $400 Bitcoins here who just thought it was a kind of a joke and now they're $5,000. What's that? 6,000, I haven't looked. I haven't looked in a day or two, I, I, I'm holding. <laughs> um, but in any case, I think it's beer time. So let's have a big hand of applause for this crowd. And uh, thank you so much. Another SF Music Tech Summit in the books, number 19. Thank you all.